Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. While we continue together in this uh, worship series, which is called The Shape of Shalom, Pulling God's Future into the Now. And the text for tonight, um, selected some weeks ago for the sake of this series, is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9, and it goes like this. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Dearly beloved, in days like these, I feel the limitations of preaching. That is to say, I feel the limitation of the power of words and sentences, paragraphs and sermons to repair the brokenness of any of our hearts. I know you come here for many things more than words, for the soothing balm of beautiful music, for the sweet companionship of friends and fellow sufferers, for the comfort of familiar rhythms, because this is what we do on Sundays. (laughs) This is who we are. None of that requires words, and there is a danger that words will clutter and clog the pipeline of peace that you might need more than anything else tonight. And if that feels true for you, please just mute the sound and take a rest. Breathe deeply for a few minutes in the presence of people who love you until Nicole and Nathan deliver another dose of beauty and we gather at the table of our Lord to receive again the source of our lives and our life together. My feelings won't be hurt. I can't even see you. (laughs) 
Remember how we began this worship series by talking about dominant narratives and counter narratives, how for our ancestors in faith, there was a noisy, bossy, domineering story that tried to drown out all dissent and how God's prophets would expose the dominant narrative and its shortcomings and offer a counter narrative from God's own imagination. Maybe you don't remember, two Sundays was a long time ago, that's okay. The point was, and is, that it's been happening this way for as long as we can remember, for as long as humans have been telling stories, that there are competing stories. One that seems to be winning by shouting the loudest and wielding the biggest weapons, and one that is whispered on the wind of the blessed Holy Spirit. And we contend, along with God's prophets in every age, that the whispered story is the true story, the one that responds to the beating heart of God who made us and knows us and loves us best of all, the story that calls the world and all its inhabitants into God's beautiful future. So here is a dominant narrative they were telling in Israel among God's people back in the day. They were saying that persons were subject to religious law enforcement, a legal and judicial and penal system that could imprison any who deviated from religious requirements and expectations. As in Psalm 107, which Justin helped us read tonight, says, Some sat in darkness and in gloom, prisoners in misery and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. And our ancestors in faith would have called that justice. That is to say, they would have argued that there is a way God intends for all people to believe and behave, and that those who can't get with that way have to be punished. And that punishment has to be awful enough, the hard labor, the unlit cells, the binding of hands and feet, the isolation in inescapable cages made with iron bars and bronze doors, all of which is described in the bleak poetry of Psalm 107, awful enough that the very threat of it is enough to guarantee most everybody's conformity to the law, that is, God's law as understood by the people in power. They would have called that justice. That was the dominant narrative concerning justice way back when. And then there is God's counter-narrative. In Psalm 107, God comes busting into prison like an armored avenging angel, shattering the cell doors with God's hammer fists, cutting the bars in half with God's laser beam eyes, gathering up into God's strong arms prisoners serving 99 to life, prisoners who are so weak from hunger and forced labor that they cannot walk, 
whose eyes are shut tight against the shards of sudden sunlight, whose misery has all but extinguished any shred of hope that things could ever be different. They have languished, the psalm says, but God has liberated. Praise the Lord. That's how psalms go. In Isaiah 42, the mood is changed, though the story is the same. God scans the earth and assesses the prevalence of punishment, the power of those who legislate and adjudicate and incarcerate and dominate. God scans the earth and ascertains the justice, the justice of God's imagining has not been achieved by the so-called justice systems of God's so-called people. And so God announces reparative action a plan by which justice will be achieved, brought forth within and for the sake of, get this, not just God's chosen religious, not only God's privileged nation and its own powerful elite, but justice within and for the sake of all nations all people, those who do and do not fall under God's covenantal law, those who do and do not conform to the standards of right belief and behavior as interpreted by the powerful, the VRPs, the very religious persons who sit in the seats of judgment in the house of justice they have built. The dominant narrative says, we are the right interpreters of law and thus the standard bearers for justice. We define it, we enact it, get in line or take your punishment. God's counter narrative says, nah. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. And here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. And I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. See, it's not justice in the abstract. It's justice in direct and deliberate contrast to those who think it is theirs to decide. God answers the dominant narrative by, in Isaiah's understanding, appointing the ultimate judge, God's own agent within the human family, the one whose only job is to establish justice in the earth. And it sounds big. It sounds too big for just one person, but God says, don't worry, the one I've selected will not grow faint or be crushed until he has done it. Now, Here's the really wild part about God's agent of the counter-narrative of divine justice. He's going to do it all, break those chains, shatter those doors, slice those bars, while showing the tenderest possible care for those who have been most bruised and broken under the blows of the dominant narrative. The dominant narrative is noisy. God's agent of justice will not raise his voice to win a shouting match. The dominant narrative clambers over the backs of the small, 
the poor, the children, the racialized minority, the reproductively vulnerable, the queer, the neurodivergent, the misunderstood, the diminished and despised. God's agent of justice will not break one bruised reed. The dominant narrative douses hope under torrents of condescension, pouring the thick sludge of their will to power over sparks of moral agency and faith-seeking understanding. God's agent of justice will not quench a dimly burning wick. God's agent of justice will fan those sparks into bright lights of courage to illuminate the way forward. Because God's own counter-narrative says there is a way forward. The dominant narrative wants us to believe there is not, wants everyone to stay put, sit still, remain in the bondage of the boundaries the privileged and powerful have erected. But God's story is always a story of movement out of enslavement into liberation, out of exile into homecoming, out of the tomb into the bright light of resurrection. It does not deny that incarceration has been the dominant reality for a long fucking time, and that the constricting coils of so-called justice have squeezed almost every bit of hope out of the very smallest ones. But God's prophets can see something even more real than that, or so they say. They say that they can see God's extended hand ready to take the hand of any who yearn for the counter-narrative like a deer pants for water. They see God's agent leading a bedraggled company of the formerly oppressed gently, gently, out of the heaviness of the story the dominators keep telling us, into the glorious weightlessness of God's own story of what is good and true and right, and beautiful, and necessary. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, to bring out from the prison those who sit in darkness, God says, of God's agent in the world, to bring them out, to give them sight, to show them a future that is worth hoping for, and gently, gently, for their sake, so that broken stalks find strength to stand tall and sputtering wicks are fanned again into flame. Church, here is what I think is probably true for the remaining years of my life on this earth and the life we're sharing together. I think the dominant narratives of false peace and false justice are and will remain louder than they have ever been in my lifetime, though it should be said not louder than they have been in the lifetime of the human family. I think that proponents and beneficiaries of the dominant narrative will expend massive energies trying to crush, break, extinguish anyone who threatens their dominance. And I think that God has agents of God's future, God's K 
counter-narrative, God's whispered account of true justice in the world right now. And I think they are us. And yes, I know that many of us are locating ourselves in Isaiah's word picture as the bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks right this minute. In case you need to hear me say that, I'm saying it. It is reasonable for us, maybe more especially for you, to feel that way. Whatever we do together in seasons to come, I promise we will do it gently, gently, in order to preserve the life and strength and spark of the ones among us who are suffering the most. But, and, as we are able, as God gives us strength, as God takes us by the hand and keeps us and leads us out, we will move ahead as agents of God's counter-narrative, the true justice that the nations of the earth, including this nation, yearn for. The coastlands wait for this teaching, Isaiah said, meaning as far as the old prophet could imagine, from sea to shining sea, the world needs to know that God's idea of justice is quite different from the one on offer by the dominant narrative. And who will tell them if not us? Who are God's agents, if not us, the bedraggled former prisoners, now co-conspirators, blinking in the brightness of God's own shine, feeling ourselves unbound by the power of this place, this pocket of resistance against the loudest, most domineering voices, this quiet place of care for those most in need of liberation. Don't mistake the quiet for weakness, beloved. We have no idea yet how strong we really are. But with God's help, we will. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal, or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps, and if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.